especially for the sake of our guests, I like to mention every week that there's a gold insert in your service folder, and you're very much invited to use that during our sermon study. This week, you kind of have a two-for-one deal. There's last week's notes in the back of the bulletin and then the gold sheet. Uh, we're using the, the gold sheet uh, for our purposes right now. This past week, there was a uh, Dove soap commercial going around on Facebook. Um, I know that a lot of you or many of you saw it because I, I, I'm on Facebook too and I saw some of you like it. Um, it was, I think it was called Beauty Sketches or something like that. And for those of you who didn't see it, here's essentially what the Dove commercial was. There was a, a sketch artist named Gil Zamora. And he was brought in to make a sketch of a portrait of different women without seeing them, much like you would as uh, in law enforcement or whatever, upon a description. But the description that was used by Gill was the description of the woman he was drawing. And so they would bring in the woman, Gill wouldn't be able to see her, and he would ask her questions like, um, tell me about your hair, what do your eyes look like, what are, what's your jaw like, uh, you know, what about your nose, and, and ask all these questions, and then when he was done with the portrait, she'd leave, he wouldn't see her, she wouldn't see the portrait, and they'd bring in a second person, a person who knew the first person. And the second woman would then also be asked questions about the first person, and she would be asked the same exact questions by Gil. So what, was, what is her, the first person's, hair like? And what are her eyes like? And, and what about her chin? And so on and so forth. And then after they were done, they took the portrait of the woman's description about herself and the portrait of the, the other person's description of that woman and put them side by side. And for those of you who saw the commercial, you, you know what happened, but for those of you who didn't, inevitably, in every case it seemed that the description that the lady had of herself wasn't as pretty as the picture that someone else described of her. It was sadder, less pretty than someone else's description. And, and the point in the Dove commercial it was this, you have more beauty than you think you have. I'd like to think I do, but uh, I don't know if that's true or not, that you have more beauty than you think you have. But here's what I do know, that the perception that we have of ourselves is not always a perfect reflection of reality. The perception that we have of ourselves isn't always, for better or for worse, isn't always a true reflection of reality. Let me ask you, how many of you this morning feel like a beautiful bride? Now, fellas, I was hoping none of you would raise your hand. And I'm glad, Cal, <laughs> I'm glad that you didn't. Um, after the service or the sermon, then feel free to raise your hand. But if you came here this morning feeling like a beautiful bride, we need to talk, all right? But for you ladies, I mean, think about all the things that go into making a beautiful bride on her wedding day. Weeks and months of planning for the right dress and looking for it and, and alterations and all of those things. Uh, you know, how many of your clothes today that you're wearing were altered, you know, specifically for today, right? Um, and then all the time looking for the right shoes, which strikes me as funny because no one even sees them anyway, but you got to find the right shoes. 
and then the right hairstylist and the right makeup person. And nowadays, you even have what I'll call a test run of getting your hair done and your makeup done a week before just to make sure that it looks perfect on the day of your wedding. And then the, the toenails need to be perfect and the fingernails need to be perfect and the skin tone needs to be perfect and $5 tan down the street. And uh, all of these things need to be absolutely perfect so that you feel like a beautiful bride. And this morning, you probably had two minutes to get yourself ready after getting the rest of the family ready. I mean, you probably don't feel like beautiful brides this morning. But you know, much like the Dove commercial, the perception that we have of ourselves is not always an accurate reflection of reality. And really, what we've been looking at this past number of weeks is what the reality is for you. Because guess what? Some person who comes in to describe you to a sketch artist, that might be reality in the Dove commercial. I, I want a better reality. I want a truer reality. And our reality of who you are and who I am comes from God himself. And so what we've been doing is looking at some verses in 1 Peter chapter 2. We've looked at chosen people. We are a royal priesthood, and today we're taking a look at the third one, that you're a, a holy nation, that God says through faith in Jesus, we are a holy nation. And we're going to really key on, on the, the second word there, the word holy. So where does the bride part come in? <laughs> well, let me go back to last week for a moment. I had a table out here with a, a, a box that represented sin and how it divides us from God. And we talked about how we can never have a good relationship with God because sin was there separating us from God. Now when Jesus came, as we saw last week, he took away that dividing wall. And now we can have a very good relationship with God. God is holy. And guess what? Much like Nathan, I could tell he just loved being in that sheet. Uh, much like Nathan, in our children's message, because you're covered with Christ, you are holy too. You know what it's kind of like? It's kind of like a wedding dress that's meant to represent the purity of the bride that Christ has made his church, guys, you're included, holy perfect and beautiful. And then there's something else. Our spouse, and some days it may not always be that way, but our spouse is supposed to be, according to God's plan, our very best friend. The closest relationship, the most energy we put into anyone is not our kids. It's our husband. It's our wife. That close, close relationship of a husband to a wife is what the Bible uses as a metaphor to describe the deep, deep love and relationship that God has for you. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, about that relationship. And the reality is that there are all kinds of different love stories. In fact, if we had a chance to go around the room and, and for you to share your love story if you're, you're married, we'd find that some of you are high school sweethearts. I know we have some people in our church that went to grade school together. Um, some of you met online. Some of you met in other places. I mean, the stories are all different and all wonderful. And, and there are some love stories where the bride 
the girl, I mean, she's a catch. And I don't even know, I was trying to figure out what the right word would be. Um, she's, she's a desired person. She's a catch, all right? And sometimes the guy is so infatuated with the girl that, that he has to scheme and to plan and to work really, really hard for the pretty girl from Peoria, Illinois to notice him. Not that I'm talking from personal experience or anything. And finally to go on a date with him. And when, and if this is your story too, when, when the girl finally decides that she would like to marry him, that groom, that guy, is so ecstatic and lucky and blessed. Now, that's kind of a cool story. And I have to ask you, to remove it from your memory for this love story. Because that is nothing like the bride in this story. I'm not a catch. You're not a catch. God, relationship with us, this identity that we have as a bride... In order to understand our identity, we need to understand the love story. And so to do that, we're turning to an Old Testament prophet named Hosea. Now, I would guess that some of you here have never heard a sermon preached on Hosea. And in fact, Hosea's life is going to sound um, quite odd and surprising to you. It's going to somewhat shock you, his life. But in the midst of his life, there was this Amazing message of love that God wanted to share. Uh, a little bit about Hosea's time, because it's very much um, connected to his ministry. Um, Hosea lived in about 750 B.C., and at this time, the country of Israel had been divided already. There was, uh, to the north, the northern kingdom, and to the south, the southern kingdom. Good, just making sure you're following along. And the northern kingdom is where Hosea was sent, and economically, things were great. Spiritually, things were a mess. In fact, um, a pagan religion came onto the scene about this time that was quite popular. Many of you will have heard of this false god, this made-up god named Baal. He was considered to be the god of the rain, the god who governed the crops. And his mistress was a goddess named Asherah. Now, here's where things get a little bit uncomfortable, okay? So, when we worship, we come to church, um, we sing songs, we pray, we listen to God's word. For Baal worship, one of the most common rituals was that each temple had temple prostitutes, and part of worship was to engage in illicit acts with the temple prostitutes. What an immoral, what a crazy, what a very, um, um, very confused spiritual climate that God sent Hosea to share a message in. And the message that Hosea was sent was to, to give was not just, you know, guys, cut it out. I mean, that was part of the message, but it was given in a very different way. In order for God to get his people's attention, he shared with them a love story. Now, we're going to look at verse 1 of chapter 1, and here's how the book begins. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, 
son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Now, the reason why I wanted to start here is because you're going to hear about Hosea today, and you're going to kind of think, at least it's going to occur to you maybe, that this cannot be real, this cannot be true, this is some fable, this was made up. The reason why Hosea started this way is he's marking this as an historical event. We mark our years with numbers. They didn't have a numbering system. And so they marked it with who was ruling. It'd be like me saying, what Hosea is saying here, it'd be like me saying that my ministry took place during the presidencies of George W. Bush and Barack Obama. That's kind of what Hosea is saying. And everyone who would have read it was, oh yeah, I remember that, that time. I understand the context. One last thing before we look at what God told Hosea to do. My sermons to you are with my words. Hosea's sermon to the people was primarily with what God told him to do with his life. Words were attached, but the main sermon was with his life. And what did God ask Hosea to do? Verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to or for yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. Now, let me be more specific. Go, Hosea, I want you to marry not just someone who's committed adultery. I want you to go marry a prostitute. I want you to go marry, probably talking about those temple prostitutes that I mentioned earlier. Go marry one of them. And you can just imagine Hosea sort of scrunching up his face and, God, can you uh, tell me again what you want me to do? Because I think what I heard was, you want me to go and make for my wife, my only wife, you want me to go and marry a prostitute, someone who has given herself to a whole bunch of other people. And if that conversation happened, God would have said, yep, that's what I'm calling you to do, Hosea. Verse 3. So Hosea married Gomer. Beautiful name, huh? There's many reasons we'll find in this lesson why not to name your daughters Gomer, okay? This, the sound of it, is one of them. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Imagine the faithfulness of Hosea. I mean, I'm sure Hosea was like any guy, thinking about his future thinking about the type of wife that he would have. And I dare guess that not one of you here today dreamed of marrying someone like Gomer. You can imagine Hosea, when he's announced that he's going to marry this prostitute, you can imagine what his parents had to say and his family. You can imagine the gossip going on. Isn't he a prophet of God? Look who he's marrying. Look what he's doing. Look who he's giving his love to. Now, what's going on here? What's the sermon? Well, let me connect some dots for you. 
Gomer is a real woman who really lived, but with her life, God used it to represent Israel and their unfaithfulness and their straying and spiritual adultery from God. And with Hosea, he's a real prophet who really lived, but God used his life as a sermon, and Hosea was meant to represent the groom, God himself, a God who would love those who are unfaithful, a God who would love those who commit what we still would say is one of the most sins of betrayal that there is, adultery. And so you have Hosea and you have Gomer representing the love story of God. Now, when it comes to love stories, we would all like to think of ourselves as being desirable, right? We'd all like to think that our husband or our wife is pretty lucky to have us in their life, and, you know, we can tell them that if they forget. You're lucky to have me. But this story is totally different than that. Your story as a bride is totally different than that. And in some ways, it hurts our hearts to think about, but it's true. You have to get that idea out of your mind. We are the like unfaithful Israel. And God has chosen to love us anyway. In fact, here's what Jesus did for us. We go back to our lesson from Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives, and then listen again through the new lens of our reality on our own and what Jesus has done for us. Just as Christ loved her bride, loved the church, and gave himself up for her, gave his life to make her holy, clean, pure, like a wedding dress, cleansing her with baptism, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. We are the bride through Jesus who has the perfect nails and the perfect hair and the perfect skin tone and the perfect dress and the perfect shoes even though no one can see them. Through Jesus, we who don't deserve it have become men too. The beautiful bride that God has chosen to love. In order for us to understand this relationship between us, the bride and the groom, God, we have to, you know, really get the traditional idea of marriage out of our heads, okay? And, and here's what I'm saying by the traditional idea. The, the traditional idea behind a marriage oftentimes is two people coming together and they both bring things to the marriage. I remember when Carrie and I were uh, planning um, our life after we got married and, and starting to live together after we got married, and we were kind of starting to think about, I mean, do we have enough stuff to put in our house that we're going to have anywhere to sleep on or, you know, a table to sit at? And um, she talked about some of the things that she had. I remember she brought to the relationship a kitchen table and um, um, a TV and a bed, which was good, and, um, oh, I can't forget about the shoes, um, and, and shoes, 
and, and more shoes. Um, and then I, I, brought, I brought to the relationship some things. I, I had um, some chairs to go around the kitchen table, which was kind of ironic, but, you know, we were meant to be. I had a TV to go on the TV, or a TV, TV to go on her TV stand. Um, I had posters of Michael Jordan and Troy Aikman, and those are still in storage somewhere. Never have come out, unfortunately. But in, in a traditional sort of setup with marriage, the groom brings something, the bride brings something, you bring it together, and you have a new family. Guess what? In this love story, the groom brought everything. You didn't bring a thing. The groom, Christ, brought it all. His love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his patience, his life. Now, if you were Gomer, how do you think you'd react to someone who just saved your life? If you were Gomer, how do you think you'd react to someone who saw in you a person when so many other people just saw a possession You know what Gomer did? If you keep reading in chapter 2, she continued on in her unfaithful ways. Gomer, who was saved by Hosea, continued to be unfaithful to him. She went back to her old lifestyle of adultery. In fact, it says that she was loved by another, and she gave his lo- her love to another. In fact, it even alludes to the fact that Gomer likely had a baby out of wedlock while she was married to Hosea, the guy who saved her. We can't even imagine that. Adultery is one of the, the worst betrayals, one of the worst things that anyone could ever have to deal with. And maybe some of you have had to deal with that in your life. And you know firsthand how difficult that is. Last week I said that we can never understand what sin is like to God. That it's just beyond our understanding of how deep sin goes with God. The closest we can get is this. The closest we can get is how it would feel to have your spouse commit adultery. We don't even want to go there, do we? And we're blessed with spouses that won't do that. But to understand what sin is like to God, the groom, you're getting there. And Gomer did the unspeakable. (laughs) Do we sometimes treat the groom the same? I mean, our temptation is not to worship Baal and Asherah. But do we have idols? What an idol is? An idol is anything that's good that we put into a God place. Taking something that's good, putting it into a God place. So there's lots of good things <coughs> that God gives. Family, kids, fun, success, career, food, Lots of good things. But when those things are elevated to a place higher than God, and by the way, we all do this sometimes. We are all gomers at time, all right? I've never called you a gomer before. When we do that, we are committing that same idolatry, that same spiritual unfaithfulness as gomer. 
But as great as our unfaithfulness, even greater still is God's faithfulness. And that's where we want to sort of go as, as we close today. We go to chapter 3 of this account of, of Hosea. And after Gomer's unfaithfulness, that not only led her into adultery, but it also led her into slavery. Listen to what God asks Hosea to do. The Lord said to me, Hosea, go show your love to your wife. Again. I don't think I could do it. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her, and God himself makes the comparison now, love her as the Lord loves his people, the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Now, I can't go past that last phrase without commenting on it. I mean, these raisin cakes must have been really good. Um, like yummy Fig Newtons or something, I don't know. Um, really, all the sacred raisin cakes are... Um, Theologians think that maybe they were um, connected to some of the, the illicit things that are going on in the, in the temple, uh, maybe even some sort of an aphrodisiac. It was something connected to the worship of Baal. And God calls Hosea to go and to take back his unfaithful wife and to love her again. Now, one thing of note, in this section, God is, his point is not to give us marital advice, okay? Sometimes a bride or a groom can forgive adultery and that marriage can continue, but this is not God's point here. This is not his point to give marriage advice. His point is to talk about the love of God for us. Verse 2. So I bought her. Not only did he have to go get her and love her, he had to buy her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Um, according to people who studied the culture at the time, they say that the going price for a slave at this time was about 30 shekels. So you can imagine uh, Hosea going home. Hey, Dad, what are you doing? Well, we got to go buy your, wife, buy your mother back from slavery, okay? Um, and he's gathering up all of his, his money, and he, he doesn't have enough, and so he gathers some barley, and, and Hosea takes all that he has, and he goes, and he gives all that he has to buy his unfaithful wife back and to make her beautiful again. Jesus gave all that he had to buy his unfaithful bride back and to make us beautiful again. And when you think of Gomer's story, for those of you who are really struggling with sin of some sort from the past, I pray that when you see someone like Gomer, who God loved through Hosea, that you understand there is love and grace and mercy for whatever it is that you've struggled with, that God has made you new, that you are his bride through faith in Jesus. And now what? Where do we go from here? Well, about a month ago, 
the Today Show featured a, uh, uh, a newlywed <coughs> named Jennifer Salvage. And uh, her and her husband uh, have been traveling around the world since they've been married. And they've been taking pictures of her all over the world in her wedding dress, okay? So here's some of the pictures. There's lots uh, of more of them. So up top there, same wedding dress in all the pictures. She's uh, dogs sledding? I don't know what you call it, but she's with dogs on a sled, okay? Um, on the right, she's either in Paris or Vegas. I think it's Paris. Uh, on the left, uh, she's in Norway in her wedding dress. Next slide. Um, she's swimming in the ocean in her dress, shooting hoops at uh, the 76ers game on the left. And in uh, Norway or New Zealand on the right. And there's probably 30, 40 more pictures like this in different places. If there's one image that I could have you take away from the message today, it would be these images. And the point behind it is this. Be who you are everywhere and every day. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But God created a relationship with us, took us as his bride, and then bought us back and forgives us every time we are unfaithful. Be the bride of Christ everywhere you go in every day of your life. Remember the robe of righteousness that God has given to you through Christ. And so what does this mean? Guess what it means? If you remember you're the bride of Christ every day, it means that you have confidence that the world cannot have because guess what? It doesn't matter if you gain five pounds or have wrinkles or are losing hair. It doesn't matter because your identity is in being the beautiful, beautiful bride of Christ. What it means is that even though we're not going to do this perfectly, when you remember you're the bride of Christ, it gives you a renewed passion to be faithful, to say no to idolatry, and to be faithful to the groom who loved you in spite of who we are and has made us beautiful in his son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,